Uh, I want to start with really one of my favorite uh, movies of all time, which is The Karate Kid, the original version, 1984. Uh, any fans in the room? Yep. Uh, I'll send this out in the church newsletter tomorrow, but there's a great video about how Daniel is actually the bully in the movie. Um, I don't know if you've seen that, but I'll just grace you with that. Uh, on, you're going to be thinking about that before uh, Monday. But anyway, um, one, of the, one of my favorite characters in this movie is this guy, this uh, teacher, this karate teacher for the Cobra Kai dojo, this sort of the nemesis in the movie. These are all the bad guys, you know what I'm saying? And um, he, there's this scene... In uh, kind of in the beginning of the movie, but there's a scene where he's yelling at his students, his karate students. And I love these lines. He says to them, um, we do not train to be merciful here. He says, mercy is for the what? The weak. You know it. Let's do it together. Mercy is for the weak. I don't really do it very well. But um, he goes on to say, here in the streets, in competition, a man confronts you. He is the enemy. An enemy deserves no mercy. John Kreese from The Karate Kid. Now, some of you hear that and you're like, amen. Is that what we're talking about? That is exactly, (laughs) this is the type of church I want to be at. That's what we're talking about. Back in 2015, uh, our family went to the uh, opening uh, Georgia game. In Athens, I'm sure all of you guys were there, all these tech people in here. Uh, I posted something about the Georgia game on my Instagram, and then all the tech people just started talking. Uh, but, uh, but I love you all. And we went to the game, and they played Louisiana Monroe. So a great game, by the way. And at some point, two-thirds of the way through the game, they called the game. I've never been to a college football game, or any football game for that matter, where before it was even over, they just called it. The coaches met in the middle of the uh, field. I swear there was a check exchanged, and then it was over. Now, the news reports cited the weather as the main cause. There had been some delays, but I was there, and we sent their quarter. I say we, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, we sent their quarterback to the medical tent multiple times. It was also 51 to 14, Okay. Uh, at that time. So I'm going to call what we used to call in Little League Baseball the mercy rule. Are you with me on that? Anybody remember the mercy rule? Uh, Here come the kids. They're doing it. Uh, So I'm going to call it the mercy rule. Maybe you're familiar with that, but it's when it's just beyond, we just have to end this thing and enact some kind of uh, mercy. And the question this morning I want us to wrestle with is, what are the rules of mercy? What are they? And this is where the way of Jesus gets into some trouble, when it starts meddling in things like compassion and forgiveness and mercy, because mercy is not really a baseline value in our culture. It's something we all want, but it's not really a baseline in our culture. So what are the rules of mercy? If you were listening to the gospel reading um, that was just read, this is exactly the same question that Peter asks Jesus. He comes up to Jesus and he says, Hey, uh, how many times should I forgive someone who has wronged me? How many times? If that's the question. And that's kind of the question we all ask, isn't it? How many times do I have to put up with this person, this person's mistakes? How many times do I have to deal with these inconsistencies 
How many times do I have to be merciful and forgiving to this person? Like, what are the outer limits of mercy? Like, what is the number? This is what Peter is asking Jesus. Tell me the number. Now, I assume that you've asked that question before, too. If you have children, it's, it's a difficult question because you can't just get rid of the children. Are you with me on that? So this question you might ask, like, how many times do I have to tell you to clean up your room? How many times do I have to tell you this, that, and the other? How many times do I have to tell you to answer the text when I text you? How many times do I have to tell you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? But you can't just go, you're out, you know? So there's some connection here in terms of, like, how God is merciful to us and how parents have to sort of deal with these inconsistencies and these problems and these wrongdoings over and over again. But as a parent, you still, how many times, how many more times, as Robert Plant would sing in the great Led Zeppelin song, how many more times? (laughs) How far does mercy reach? That's the question. So Peter has a suggestion for Jesus. How many times should I forgive someone who has wronged me, Jesus? How about seven? He gives them a number. Did you hear that in the story? How does seven sound, Jesus? How does seven feel to you? How are you feeling about seven? There's been lots of conversation throughout New Testament history about why Peter uses the number seven. It's a very odd, it is an odd number, but it's a very strange It's a strange number. What is he talking about? And there's been lots of conversation about what he's referring to. Is he referring to some of the old sacrificial practices within the Jewish tradition where there's the sprinkling of the blood seven times over the sacrifice for the remission of sin? Is that what he's referring to? It doesn't say. He doesn't qualify it. Is he talking about this old story in Genesis 4 about this man named Lamech who is talking about forgiveness in terms of sevens? Is that what he's talking about? Or in the Jewish context, the number seven is always equal to something about completion, wholeness, finished. Is this Peter's way of saying, hey, after seven, we're done, right? I can kick them out of my life. Is that what he's saying? Either way, seven feels generous, doesn't it? If you have a friend or someone who just keeps doing things, you're like, you know, seven's going to be it for you, you know? Seven feels generous. Well, Jesus responds to Peter with this wild number. Now, Brian read from the NIV, but it's a bad translation, at least on this number. What Jesus actually says is 70 times seven. So he gives this wild number. Some ancient New Testament manuscripts actually just have the number 490 times. It's such a a comical moment. Peter feels good. Jesus. Someone has wronged me. What do you think? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. 490 times. 490 times. It's a wild number. My wife, who's a teacher, always uses the word or the number 9,000. I've been married to her for almost 30 years. 9,000 is the number she uses when she's trying to exaggerate something like, I have told that kid 9,000 times to finish the worksheet. I've told our daughter 9,000 times to clean her room. It's always 9,000, always. Just hang around her, you'll hear the number 9,000. But this is what Jesus does. He gives this incredible number 
of 490 times. What is Jesus doing? Well, in one way, he's stretching the limits of mercy to the edges of absurdity. That's part of the point here. I mean, the question really after he gives that number should be, who's going to keep track of that? Is that in your notes app? You have, a, you have a note for every person in your life, and it's just a tally sheet? How crazy are you? You see? See how Jesus turns the table? It's 490, Peter, so start counting. Who's the crazy person now? Can you imagine going up to one of your friends and going, hey, just so you know, you've blown it with me 368 times. You're getting close. I give you about four more months. And so there's humor in here, but Jesus is also kind of turning the table. Like, who's going to count that high? Who's going to do that? Why would you do that? At that point, there's something going on with you, maybe this vengeful spirit. So the first thing Jesus does here in this scene is he gives his disciples this inside look on the expansive mercy of God. And in his response to Peter... He invites him, he invites all the disciples and all of us to imagine what it must be like to be that merciful to someone. 490 times? To be that marginal, that much space. What is that like? How many more times for Jesus is the wrong question? The better question that Jesus is asking is, how does mercy behave? And is it possible to see such mercy unfold in our worlds that we live in? And that question opens up all these possibilities. And to drive the point home, Jesus just tells this parable, this story, this absurd story uh, that you heard read a minute ago. As a way to remind his disciples, and of course us, that our own acts of mercy towards other people should be rooted and informed by our own experience of God's mercy in our own lives. We often forget that. And the warning that the story gives is that we would forget our own need for mercy in those moments. And that we would somehow find ourselves above the limitations of our own humanity. And that we would only see the failures of others while imagining ourselves to be beyond such things. This is the great doubleness of humanity, you know. Um, is Kyle Marshall in here today? Raise your hand, Kyle. I don't know if you remember the story, but Kyle used to work here years ago, and um, um, he's still here, still around. He doesn't work here anymore, but he's still here. Uh, but he was preaching one Sunday, I don't know if you remember this, but it was right when Georgia passed the law that you couldn't look at your phone in the car. And um, Kyle looked at his phone a lot in the car. Okay, uh, it, was ter- it was terrifying to drive with him, you know. And, um, and I know some of you are like, wait, that's a law? But just go with me. <laughs> and Kyle told this story from the stage. It was one of the most brilliant illustrations of this I've ever heard. I don't know if you remember this. But um, he got up and he told the story. He's like, you know, they passed a law about you can't use the phone in the car. And he admitted, like, I did it all the time. But that day I didn't. And I pulled up next to a guy who was doing it, and I just looked at him, and I was like, man, that guy. (laughs) You know? Do you remember this now? Yeah. 
Isn't that how it is? Like, I was that guy 12 hours ago. All I did was wake up, and I didn't do it for two hours. I see this guy, this guy is, he's a loser, you know? Can't you get it together? Can't you get your life together? Can't you obey the law? That's what we do. Does that make sense? That's what we do. We, re, we, we fail to remember sometimes our own limitations. And Jesus tells this story to remind his disciples and us of that very truth about who we are. And as I said in the very beginning, mercy is, is not our cultural baseline. It's just not. I heard Bill Maher say once that <laughs> Twitter, now X, uh, goes from zero to homicide real fast. It's just not in our nature. Mercy is a hard thing for us. And yet, it's most desired, isn't it? We want mercy. There's this wonderful line, strong verse, where Jesus says these words, go and learn what this means. And then he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now he's quoting an old prophet. And what he's talking about is people were sort of keeping score of Jesus' works, particularly on the Sabbath or his forgiving of people or just all these things. And people who were keeping score on Jesus were very intent on being very visibly uh, religious, keeping all of the Sabbaths, keeping all of the sacrificial practices, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, doing all the things. And then Jesus quotes his prophet, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. But the thing that he says before it is so powerful. Go and what? Learn what this means. This invitation to learn mercy. What is mercy? Go and learn what it means. 490 times. What Jesus is really saying is, don't count, learn. Stop keeping count. Just learn what mercy is. Don't keep counting, just keep learning. Learn how mercy behaves. Learn how mercy feels in your hands, in the words that you speak, even in your own thoughts. Take some time to learn what that is. What does mercy in my world look like? Don't keep score. That's stressful. Builds bitterness. Weighs you down. Makes you look older. Just learn. That's, all, that's, all the, that's the only command here. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not scorekeeping, not tally marks, not knots in my chain. One of my favorite hymns is There's a Wideness in God's Mercy. And this verse is my favorite, but I want to read the whole thing to you, and then eventually you will get to this one. It's written in 1862, and It goes like this. There is a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. There is a kindness in God's justice which is more than liberty. There is a welcome for the sinner and more gracious for the good. There is mercy with the Savior. There is healing in his blood. But we make God's love too narrow. 
by false limits of our own and we magnify its strictness with a zeal God will not own. For the love of God is broader than the measures of the mind and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. If our love were but more simple, we should rest upon God's word and our lives would be illumined by the presence of our Lord. Yeah.